The Long Box Crusade presents monthly Monday Movie Muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I've got this giant room filled with movies that I love just kind of walking through and wondering, but it's still too small for me. That's why I took over the attic of the Longbox Crusade headquarters and have taken over all of their movies. It's awesome. The best part about this is that I can share these movies with friends that I've made over the internets. And one of those friends is here with me now. I am talking about Jeremy Daw. He is one of my other podcasts' super fans. Jeremy, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing quite well today, even though in where I live in southeast Missouri, it's awfully chilly for Memorial Day weekend, but we're used to being really hot and sticky. So I'll take the cool weather. <laughs> I, I would take it now because if it's Missouri, it's not going to be cool for long. <laughs> no, it's very temperamental that way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My only memories of Missouri was uh, Fort Leonard Wood, oh, where yeah? I spent a very enjoyable two month summer break there. It was at, on, on one of their, you know, many lovely little retreats that they have mm-hmm. for young men who decide that they're going to sign up with the uh, the government to yeah. work with them for periods of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Very nice. <laughs> so I understand about the weather there. Oh, yes, definitely. Most people don't really get it until they actually get in it. And then they're like, good grief. You know, you don't know what to, how to prepare to go out the door every day. You wear shorts and a no. jacket and I don't know, you know, carry an umbrella some days too. So... <laughs> That's why I will just sit here in the lovely Pacific Northwest. We pretty much know what we're going to get in Oregon and Portland. It's going to rain. And if it doesn't rain, it's going to be sunny. So there yeah. you go. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> all good. Looks so pretty, though, too. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. I'm looking out at blue skies, green trees, and a very pleasant, pleasant day here. Oh, so we, that's it, it's nice to see the sun weather. It's nice yeah. to see the sunny weather. That's awesome. Let me ask you a question about your movie history, because mm-hmm. I saw that you were posting a few different things recently on Twitter about movies you've been watching and enjoying. And that's what made me kind of reach out to you and say, why don't you be on my show and watch some movies Mm -hmm. with me? What is your history with movies? Do you have a real love affair with them or what? Absolutely got a love affair of movies. I think it was probably my first love as a kid. If it wasn't comic books, it was like getting into Premiere Magazine, which is I lament daily that it's no longer published. I'm actually Twitter friends with what, the chief movie critic, Glenn Kenny. So we, nice. we exchange on occasion different things about just like the business. I've not always been like in the business per se. I did do a short stint where I was a copywriter for a ad house company. 99, 2000, I met the uh, boss of the company there on Yahoo chat of all places. And I... <laughs> I, I, she, it was like she was talking like lingo that I read, I've read like in magazines and I was, maybe she's a poser. And then I found out real quick, she wasn't not only a poser, she was running an advertising agency. So like I had thrown out like the movie Magnolia that they were just doing little teasers online on the dial up days. She says, oh, I've already seen it. And she's like, look at Exodus 8-2. And I was like, what? You know, and I was like, no way. And she goes, what's your address? <laughs> Two days later at FedEx, I had like a full final one sheet as well as press kit material that they had produced for the movie. So it was pretty awesome. And that led to nice. a good creative like relationship where we just exchanged emails and she say, hey, I got work for you. You know, would you like to do it? You know, yeah, you better believe it. I like it. <laughs> so 
That's great. That's awesome. That's amazing, actually. Now, do, you, do you still have any of that stuff left, left over from Magnolia? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And Dawn. I am sure there, there are people, like, I believe it's Ryan Daly who loves that movie. Yeah. I think he would just kill you for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's safe in storage right now. So, and, like, and one of the fat final gifts I got from her was a, a postcard that her company received from Gulardi Film Company that, you know, Anderson's film company. So on the back is like his his signature as well as his producer Joanne Seller and Daniel Lupe. They're like top people, and it was just mm-hmm. you know, season's greetings. So I got that also in a safe place because I was just, I mean how how privileged can you be when you're working in ads where a postcard like that that a collector would just be, oh I'm all for that. They're like hey this is an extra just kind of sitting around. Would you like it? You know you're like sure. <laughs> so <laughs> that is that is great. That I mean. I don't like to just say, well, what's your bona fides before you come on the show? It's, yeah. I just always like to find how deep people's love for different movies are. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's got to love movies. It's just, it helps to set the barometer a little bit about what to what to expect coming up. Yeah. But it, it does sound like you are a big fan of movies. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of a little surprised about, well, not too surprised. I think that the list that you sent me is a good mixture of things that are just popular enough that I can see why it missed being on your radar for so long. Right. And, you know, just some other random ones. I had a fun time looking through the list, and I would like to now tell you what movie I want to watch with you. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. I want to go back to 1994, and I want to give you one of these science fiction adventure film, extraordinary films, directed and co-written by Roland Emmerich called Stargate. Oh, yes. Yes. I am very, very curious about why you did not see this Kurt Russell, James Spader action flick. I, for the life of me, can't. I don't know why, because I would see Emmerich's later stuff like Independence Day and Godzilla. It has always been on my radar, but it had always been like something that I was like, "Eh, I'll get to it eventually. I'll get to it eventually. And just, you know, we're 20 plus years later and I'm still saying I'll get to it eventually. (laughs) But I mean, I've seen that like the channel we have up here called Comet and they're playing like the TV version of SG one. And mm-hmm. uh, I had dated a lady that just that that was like the most awesome show ever along with Quantum Leap. But I secretly think it was more for Richard Dean Anderson bit that she had a thing for. I don't know. <laughs> but, I can't blame her. I can't blame her. He is a fine, fine I man. Know, exactly. And we all grew up but, on yeah. MacGyver. So... <laughs> <laughs> But I, I've heard really good good things about this movie. I just never gotten around to watching it. Well, what have you heard about it? Why? What do you know about the movie? I do believe there's like tra- there's um, time travel involved. You know, going back to ancient Egypt, or it may be like off on a faraway planet type thing, interplanetary travel. I think there's just there's some hijinks afoot as far as like going back and forth in time. James Spader, being James Spader, I'm sure. He'll be either very cool or villainous because he can't seem to play either. Usually he'll play both at the same time, but you know, you just, I don't know <laughs> him as a hero. We got paired up with Kurt Russell. I'm like, Kurt's not going to take the villain role. I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just like, I just, that's all I've heard about it so far. You mentioned the TV show and we're going to be mentioning it again after you see the movie, okay. because not only have I seen this movie a lot, but I actually have all of the TV show on DVD and my wife and I currently are in a rewatch of the TV show as well. Well, that's awesome. So I am very versed in it myself. Did you watch any of the TV show with your ex girlfriend? Um, no, it was just one of those where it's 
we should really watch it sometime. And then she was a full-time student at the time. So it just, the stars didn't align, so to speak, for sharing stuff like that, you know, plus it's like when you throw the first salvo, as far as like what to watch together, you have to be very careful because if it's something really arty that you know that you'll like, but you're really not too sure she's going to like, that could set the whole tone for sharing viewing experiences together because she'd be like, that was really weird. You know, why'd you show me that, you know, type thing. So, but, but we all know that the opposite is also is not true because if she shows you something, yeah, you have to make the choice of whether you like it or whether you not want to stop dating the person. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's indeed true. Very much so. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to, we'll get away from your ex-girlfriends yeah. and we'll just move forward for this point, okay. point on. And I am going to give you the opportunity to sit down and check out this movie from 1994 while we listen to the trailer and then we'll come back and then we'll talk about Alrighty. it. Alrighty. Sound good? Yep. All that right. sounds great. Great. We'll see you on the other side. All right. It has been buried for thousands of years. A mystery. A secret. A threshold to the future. Where'd you find this? I've, I've never seen anything like this. One man will break the code and open the door. Well, this should read Stargate. I was in front of us the whole time. The other will lead the way. Why are you here? I'm here in case you succeed. Jackson's identified the seventh symbol. Back at storage, reserve power, on. What is that? It's your stargate. We've opened a doorway to a world we know nothing about. The beam has locked itself onto a point somewhere in the Kalium galaxy. It's on the other side of the known universe. Your turn now. They prepared for danger. Began final evacuation. They expected the unknown. Stabilizing system. Initiated commencement sequence. But they could never have imagined this. shoot anything that comes down that ramp. Your job here is to realign the Stargate. Can you do that or not? I can't. What the hell is going on? My orders were simple. Track down signs of any possible danger. Well, I found some. I can't make it work without the seven symbol. seven minutes now the most amazing discovery of our time yes wait for me is about to become the most extraordinary adventure of all time kurt russell james spader j davidson stargate a roland emmerich film and we are back I hope you had a chance to go back and rewatch Stargate. Now, once again, that's Stargate the movie, not Stargate SG-1 or Stargate Atlantis 
or Stargate Universe or the Stargate movies that are based upon Stargate SG-1. Okay, I'm going down a rabbit hole. Anyways, we're talking about the 1994 movie Stargate. Hope you had a chance to watch that. If you did not, here is a quick synopsis of the film. Daniel Jackson is a well-known archaeologist for all the wrong reasons. He has developed a crazy idea that pyramids were built for the purpose of, oh, maybe landing spaceships. While this theory has caused him to be ostracized by his fellow scientists, it does bring him to the attention of a small secret government agency working with the Air Force. They have been trying to unlock the secrets of a mysterious alien ring with strange symbols that were discovered years ago in Egypt. After Daniel breaks the code and they open the Stargate, he joins Colonel Jack O'Neill and a team of Air Force personnel to travel through the wormhole and they end up on a strange planet, which will eventually be known as Abydos. A planet who is populated by people that have been taken from Earth as slaves to work for gods. Now Jack, Daniel, and the rest of the team have to fight Ra, the sun god, who has recently returned to this planet and is a little upset that there are some new people that are interfering in his godlike ways. So, Jeremy. Yes. Your first chance to dive into Stargate and the Stargate universe that did spawn from this movie. Mm-hmm. What was your first impression of it? And did it meet up with your expectations? On one level, it did kind of meet with up to my expectations because I already knew that like all these different other properties from Star that are Stargate adjacent were in have come off this movie. And watching it, my expectation was like, well, this has got to be a good world building type of story for all the different things that have come out. And it is like that. So it met my expectations as far as that was concerned. And I had to kind of temper it a little because with it being 1994, we're so spoiled as far as how movie effects are, especially computer effects and visual effects. And I forgot, oh, how how nice it was to see miniatures being used, you know, optical, <laughs> you know, the old school stuff that we grew up on probably watching in like the 80s, you know, it was kind of like, a oh, yeah, we didn't always have the software to pull off you know, entire worlds like we have today, you know, so Mm -hmm. I thought that was like pretty cool as well. Yeah. Before we go too much into the movie itself, I want to kind of go back to a couple things you said before. Okay. You first thought that they were going to go back in time. So Mm -hmm. were you expecting them to go back in time or were you kind of surprised that no, they're just going to another planet? I was actually surprised they went to another planet. And I think it was just because desert setting, pyramids, just the different visual totems that I have seen from the from the commercials and ads and stuff, I thought, oh, so we just got some modern day guys to just go back in time to like ancient Egypt, you know. So mm-hmm. that was a pleasant surprise that is we're taking a wormhole to another part of the galaxy that just in a, you know kind of coincidentally it looks like ancient Egypt. So I thought that was kind of they haven't had the advances that Earth has had. They've been really stuck into this suppressed society that is Mm -hmm. continually serving this god figure. You also mentioned, and I wanted to know if you did, did you have a chance to look into any of the TV show? No, I did find it on um, Netflix, but it was a matter of just time. Like, I just Mm -hmm. wasn't able to get the time this week to actually sit and watch an episode. So, like, I was, like, disappointed. I will go and, like, start watching at least a couple episodes to see what that was about. I did read up a little bit on it and I see how they expanded the worlds and actually Mm -hmm. named the world that's unnamed in the, in the movie and stuff and the, how it's kind of like the linchpin to a whole bunch of adventures and stuff. I was like, that's worth at least checking out, you know, because the premise to me is very intriguing. 
and we'll talk about this too as we go into it, but the film does a nice job of leaving an open door, <laughs> an open wormhole, <laughs> to potential future adventures. And I th- and it was interesting to rewatch it now after going through another rewatch of the of the TV series to see the things that that they set up in the movie that actually set up really well in the TV show and that they mm-hmm. used. There's a couple things they changed. On the whole, not too bad moving over into that new that room premises, even though you do have Kurt Russell becoming or being played by Richard Dean Anderson and you have James Spader being played by Michael Shanks. And yeah. whew, I did that up from memory. So <laughs> you can kind of blink and kind of go, ah, okay, whatever. But it works. It works pretty well. Anyways, mm-hmm. we aren't really going to talk about that too much. Let's talk a little bit about the movie. And then if we need to, we can bring in some other stuff. All right. What was something that you really, really enjoyed about this movie on your first viewing? When they go into the Stargate itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just like, I was blown away by it. Uh, I was thinking... If Marvel Studios ever bites the bullet and does a secret war movie, I think that the heroes and villains, they got to use this effect for the Beyonder when the Beyonder brings them over to Battleworld. The effect of going through that Stargate, Mm -hmm. I was like, that would have been like, that'll be awesome to see. In fact, that was one of the things I was like, this would have been awesome just to been able to see in a uh, movie setting with surround sound. You know, that effect was like really appealing. And I don't know why it's just like, but it's like, okay, we're on a grand adventure type. I was just like really taken with that. I agree. I think it's something that is really amazing, especially for 1994. And I think it holds up really well. Mm-hmm. For those of you that haven't seen it, or for a reminder, when they activate the Stargate, first of all, it's a very cool effect when they activate it. They establish this wormhole, as it were. And you have what looks like kind of a tidal wave or, or a water spout coming, shooting out in front of the gate and then it kind of reverses and goes goes through the back and when everything settles down you have this shimmering pool that's on this vertical gate this vertical uh circular gate mm-hmm. and it's not unlike t- touching the the water in a pool it's this kind of liquid metal it's very cosmic-y it's it's really cool looking so that effect in and of itself is very cool and they kind of play with it a bit daniel touches it and kind of puts his hand in and out and you can see him playing with it which i would do too i think that would be really cool yeah and then once you have daniel going into the gate the scene is very interesting because you first you see his body kind of get pulled through this and you see him kind of like you know trans kind of think star trek transporter you know you see his Mm -hmm. molecules all being taken apart but then you see all the stars collide in and then expand out. And you have a very cool effect where you see him, where, or where you see the energy going through the stars, going up to a point, hitting that point, and then going in a different direction. So you, you get the feeling that there is movement, that your atoms are, the, the people's atoms are going out, hitting certain spots in the galaxy, bouncing off those spots and going to other spots. You actually feel that, there's a connection. You, you're seeing the dial-up connection or the, the connection of hits that this this data is hitting as it's going through mm-hmm. the cosmos. So it's it's very... It puts you right in the mind frame of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to know if you had any other... I mean, that's kind of my vision of, of trying to explain it, but I think it's good. It's a good explanation. It's almost like intergalactic dial-up, you know, for the yeah. internet, like, so to speak. You, you just patch a call into a different part of the galaxy and then you're transported, like bits and of information so to speak from what point a to point b 
I really enjoyed that effect. Definitely. I was just taken by it. You know, I was, and just like the production of it overall was like really sharp. I know that it, it costs a little bit of money to make. And I was like, well, you can actually see the money on screen, especially on certain set pieces. So I was like, and the effects I'm sure were not exactly cheap, especially by 1993, 94 standards. I think that the special effects, especially that holds up really well. And they use that a few times during the TV show as well. Just they keep that, that certain thing because, Hey, we've got it. Let's use it. And also it keeps on being a good shorthand for how that works. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the special effects that we see. Of course, one of the biggest set pieces that we've got is the, the pyramids. And then when Ra's ship lands on the pyramids, what did you think of that? What did you think of that effect of that spaceship? I actually really like that spaceship as well. I just thought it was a nice practice, like a little, I was like whatever optical effect it was, but I was mm-hmm. in order to establish Ra's like the godlike creature that he was trying to present to his slaves. I mean, obviously he's going to have like a very large craft you know, to kind of like lower up onto the pyramid. So I was like, Hey, that was pretty nice. You know? And of course it, freaks out our heroes as well because they're like what exactly did we get ourselves into which they were already asking beforehand and then you're like throwing the spaceship on top of that and kurt russell's well maybe i don't want to die so quickly (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was a really good effect as well definitely you have an interesting kind of juxtaposition here with ancient alien type mythology and design setting but they're also creating it to be a space epic as well so you're combining ancient egyptian and science fiction do you think they were successful with that yeah i I do to a certain degree because when they're a program like i believe on the discovery channel ancient aliens but that premiered years after this movie so i'd almost thought that it was probably in a conversation just beforehand sometimes popular entertainment will then bring a subject that people want to disseminate and talk about more, you know, on a larger scale. Next thing you know, it's like on one of the science channels, you know, like ancient aliens. Who knows? Maybe without Stargate, that would have been something that was never uncovered. Yeah. But that's just me. <laughs> I always thought it was very interesting because when we think of science fiction, we think very sleek craft. We don't think very boxy things. We don't mm-hmm. think things that are that are really reminiscent of, of ancient times. And yet, they went with the idea that, okay, well, since this is built in ancient times and this is, you know, they propagated the entire idea of an ancient religion, we're going to use the symbology in the spacefaring race that is actually doing this. So it's 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 a weird mixture of ideas, but I think yeah. they pull it off very well. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought so as well, because I was going to ask, is that something they actually explore a little bit more in the uh, in the series SG-1? Because yes. that's what I would just like that it's almost like complex, like the, just kind of like the different ideas. And I was like, this is such a big, good idea. It would be a, an excellent idea when you're doing it as a series, kind of explore a little bit more. Oh, they do. They do. They, they really go into more of the Egyptian mythology and they tie in a lot of the other gods as being these system lords that have used this idea that they come to a planet, they show themselves as being gods, when actually they're just aliens who take technology, but then they use other mythologies as well. 
okay, so that's what the ancient Egyptians thought. What about the Norse mythology? And then they say, oh, well, yeah, same thing happened there, except these ones are more like what we consider the Roswell aliens look like. It's <laughs> they, they just break it out into a lot of different ways, and it's yeah. it's actually really cool. It's actually a lot of fun how they, they play with those mythologies mm-hmm. and how those mythologies have either changed, existed, grown, fallen aside in different planets. Mm-hmm because it's not just one planet that's done this. So let's talk about the planet itself. You originally thought that it was going back in time, but it's actually set up like a desert planet where they are still in the slave. We are, we are doing work for a, a god that we believe in and, and literature and reading is, is forbidden. How do you think that felt? Did you, did you believe it or was it interesting or do you think they could have fleshed it out a bit more? I would think uh, it was interesting, but I also was, would like a little bit more of the fleshing out. And I think that comes to the idea of the story itself is so intriguing. They just introduce a lot of elements that, for all we know, depending on how much it was going to make at the box office or what they were projecting, they may have had a sequel or two lined up on paper where they could explore more of that stuff. Because like I said, I was just like, first I thought, oh, it's just a simple peasant slave group. But then I was like... No, there's probably much more to it when, um, for example, Daniel Jackson makes the discovery about their dialect being a certain ancient Egyptian dialect type where they don't off of it. Well, they're just speaking stuff that we don't understand. Then that kind of clued him in. Well, these people were abducted at some point, but they're uh, to me, that's been a little bit more interesting to kind of explore a little bit more. But I know that you only got two hours to work with, generally speaking, in a in a uh, mm-hmm. movie. So you can only hit so many things but I, I kept thinking i was like while watching it i was like well under understanding that there is a tv series and what that well maybe if they had their druthers where they could have like a three-hour cut or something you know they would have been able to add some more stuff to that you know so <laughs> i think one of the weaker aspects of this film and it's it's a time-based problem is that it's kind of two films you have the beginning part where daniel is introduced to this air force agency that's working on this Mm -hmm. and they 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 figure out how to break the code and Mm -hmm. you've got this military piece at the beginning which there's a lot of questions we still have about that and then you have the second half which is squarely in this adventure off world so there is a bit of a bifurcation that occurs how did you feel about it especially kind of just in your one viewing or your your first viewing of this that's one of the things i wrote as far as a low is the fact that some of these characters especially like in the beginning scenes don't have like enough time to like actually be worked as actual characters it's almost like mm-hmm. the they feel more like sketches where the filmmakers are like saying trust us on a on this you know they're good this this is a good guy or this is a really intelligent person, but we don't really know that. We don't see like them like spouting like a Ethereum type thing. Mm-hmm. Different things where it would clue the audience in to say, oh, okay. I don't know. It just felt kind of a little bit more rushed there for like the first 30 to 45 minutes because they want to get to the desert. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, as a, as a movie, it's like if you're moving it too quick and then, then tap the brakes midway, there is kind of like this very kind of disconnect as far as like, okay, what is this movie? I, I really like that analogy of the fact this feels like two movies kind of like just kind of cut and paste together a little bit. Yeah. Is there anything, is there any other bigger pieces that you really liked or really didn't like about this movie that we could talk about before we start talking about some of the characters? Well, I did like the, um, the guards that Ra had. I, I thought mm-hmm. the, um, the whole outfit and look, 
was like, oh, it's Tony Stark's armor, but they were look like <laughs> Egyptian gods type, you know. I was like, yeah. that's pretty clever, you know. And some of their tech was like very interesting, which also caused a little confusion. It's like, you know, like Rod, his people have obviously tech they've stolen, but yet it's the most base kind of like primitive people that they're dealing with. So I didn't know exactly. I'm like, are we achieving to a certain degree? And then just saying, ah, we'll just stop, you know, yeah. like, like a comfort zone type thing or what, but. I really enjoy like the, the guards were like really cool. Yeah, the guards armor is very striking because you have these giant horse head pieces mm-hmm. that are on the guards, which are very intimidating. Practically, you're kind of like, what does this provide you except limited vision <laughs> and a limited protection? And, and your head's going to hit on doorways, but it looks really cool. And it's really scary. So, and then they use these giant staffs, which shoot these energy blasts, which, yeah. like you said, they're great for hitting and things like this, but, same, and they, they deliver a really powerful blow. But then it's like, I'd like to have a blaster too. That'd be <laughs> exactly. nice. Exactly. You know? I was laughing because I just now thought to, um, uh, Sam Keith, the uh, cartoonist from The Max, may have taken inspiration for this when he got to the second half of his story of The Max because. That that second Max actually has a horse head with like feathers and stuff and always looked kind of cool. I was like, hey, he probably watched Stargate and thought, hey, that's an idea. <laughs> Let's just put a lot of muscles on him, you know. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the characters because okay. that's what this film really relies on. So we have our, our two main characters and that's mm-hmm. uh, Kurt Russell as Colonel Jack O'Neill, and you have James Spader as Dr. Daniel Jackson. Who do you want to talk about first? Well, Daniel Jackson, I I really was intrigued by that because Spader, to me, like all those movies I've seen him play, villain, kind of like yuppie scum type, you know, he's always just sneaky or slimy or altogether grimy. So for him to be playing like a bookish archaeologist type, I was like really taken by and of course, this is going to probably sound silly, but the hair on him is pretty epic for this movie. Okay. It's kind of like, yeah. it's very dated. I was like, no, it's not Steph from Pretty in Pink level, but you know, it's right a rung below, you know? So it, it's very early 90s moppish. Yes, very much so. Yeah, a little bit longer. He's, he is a, a long haired hippie geek almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he does play a very subdued role. He plays the love interest. He mm-hmm. plays the intellectual. He has the good and or best intentions of anybody in the film. Yeah. And it's not what you really tend to see from him right. as an actor. No, not at all. Uh, it It is well known and it's on record that he never liked the script for this movie, but he wanted the money. <laughs> <laughs> What a mercenary. <laughs> and and he was interested enough in Roland Emmerich's work that he was willing to give him a chance. But yeah, yeah he has been very open and blunt about it. He said he did this movie for the money. And yeah. he loves his craft, but he also knows that, that his craft is work. And every now and again, you have to take something that you don't necessarily like. So I don't know how much he was really putting into a lot of the scenes. A lot of this, it seems a little phoned in, but phoned mm-hmm. in for James Spader is still interesting because... Yeah, very much so, yes. He is a very talented actor. I mean, I yeah. working with Steven Soderbergh or David Cronenberg, you know, you're like, oh yeah, those are great guys to work with, but they don't really pay a whole lot in the way of money. So no. every once in a while, you got to take that paying gig that you're going to be like, it's kind of beneath me. But I mean... Yeah, I agree with you. Even like at a five, Spader is far more interesting on the screen than some character, you know, some actors are at a nine or a 10. He's got that way. Yeah, he's got some lines in here that you can see he's, you know, he turns it up a little bit to give the line. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it, he's just 
but that's okay. It's okay because he him mumbling through stuff. You see this character of Daniel Jackson who is very much a fish out of water. This is what he has thought about his entire life. He is the perfect person for this for this mission, but at the same time, he doesn't belong there because yes. this is a military mission. He doesn't know these people. He doesn't... But you can kind of see him really not getting along with anybody. And right. the relationship right. between him and Jack O'Neill, it's interesting as it builds up through the movie and all of a sudden you're like, they both have, at the core, the same gut feeling about what right and wrong is, but they mm -hmm. get there two different ways, which is always right. fascinating. Yes, it is very fascinating to me. When characters are dissimilar, but they have like similar interests or similar goals. That's mm -hmm. always to me fascinating entertainment because you don't always know as a viewer how that's going to play out. You really don't know whether or not they're going to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the script or the direction kind of flips it a little bit, subverts your expectation. And I kind of have always had a feeling like, oh, we're going to get a resolution of sorts. You know, they're going to work together and whatnot. But yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from on that. Both of them, you know, working together, you know, yeah. like, oh, they're polar opposites. But together, you know, they're able to accomplish science <laughs> or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're able to figure out a solution. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about Kurt Russell, because we haven't really get in, gotten into Colonel Jack O'Neill yet. Mm -hmm. Both with, I should say too, with Daniel Jackson and Jack O'Neill, it's really hard for me to separate a lot of what's in this film with which is what's in the Stargate SG-1. They kind of blur together well enough in my mind. Of the two, I would say that Jack O'Neill is probably the most different character. Yes. That they, they, they really change a lot as SG-1 goes on. But to start off with, what do you think about Jack O'Neill in this film. Jack O'Neill is very intriguing. It's, I think, a, a compliment to the strength of Kurt Russell as an actor. And the fact that, really, if you think a little bit about Jack O'Neill, just not like not even thinking of the TV show, he's not that really well-defined as a character. He's got, like, one point, and it's basically a, a suicide mission without saying it's a suicide mission. Kurt Russell imbues enough of Kurt Russell acting type where it kind of like fleshes him out. Like he does a better service to a script that doesn't do him a whole lot of service, I thought. And I was just like, that just shows like how strong Russell is. And I also like the fact too, that I think by, I would think that by this point, Kurt was already trying to change the public's idea of what he was as far as a movie actor, because he's done a lot of those Carpenter movies. He's associated with action movies with Sylvester Stallone. And it's almost like he wanted to do the whole reluctant gunfighter that's kind of having to be prodded back into one last mission but he does that really good they mentioned some horrible tragedy that happens in the opening minutes and they don't really even go back to it you have to kind of put that in the back of your head so i was just mm -hmm. like i just thought he was very commendable but then i also thought you know the tv show probably explores this a lot more in detail what he was going through mentally and emotionally that the movie kind of touches on but they're like Let's get back to the action. I think that the movie does a bit more. I think it leans a little too much on young son found the gun, shot himself, died. This is the tragedy that's driving him and his wife apart. Mm -hmm. uh, he's got nothing else to live for. He gave up his military career. They pulled him back because they're like, well, we kind of have a suicide mission, you know, that we're going to have to do. We need somebody who is a, a strong military guy, but who is kind of. You know, ready to give it up, that would be willing to mm -hmm. sacrifice himself for the mission. Jack O'Neill's our guy. And that's his character. That's It's very one-dimensional in here, I yes, think. Yes, it is. Yeah. And they hit that his son died. They hit it 
They hit it again. They hit it yeah. one more time. And just in case you didn't get it, they hit it again. Yeah. They have him and Skara, the one kid who's very involved in the alien planet, who mm-hmm. Jack kind of sees him as a surrogate for his son. Okay. Yeah. You know, he's like very much, you know, you can't play with guns and okay, fine. We get it. We get it. We get it. I wish that they had sketched out a couple more layers on him. They mm-hmm. they start to at the end. Yeah. But they get a lot of play just with the fact that we do know Kurt Russell is an action guy. We see him with a gun. We know he's dangerous. Yes. We see him in situations. We know that that he will be just fine right. because he's he is a He's a badass. <laughs> he is, yeah. He pretty much is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I would have liked to see him a little more. I think in the show they do a lot more with the character. They make him, they give him a lot more layers. They they really That's explore good. a lot of other other aspects about him, and they leave a lot about. Yes, he's got this memory of his son, but they leave that a little bit further in the back. Yeah. So they that that he's got other things that motivate him in the future. Mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you. The other really high-level person, the third build in the film, is Jay Davidson. Now, I should ask you, as we start talking about him, did you ever see The Crying Game? No, I've heard all about it. It was spoiled thoroughly in, like, different movie magazines as a kid. I grew up in a a more conservative house, so that was one that I think if my parents watched, it was like, well, you're not going to watch it, you know, type thing, (laughs) you know, so... But, I mean, I've, I've never had a chance to watch it. I've heard it's really actually very, very good given the material so i was not spoiled on it i remember the first time watching it with my girlfriend who had seen it and the infamous scene happened and she was staring right at me as it happened and i was like oh hello (laughs) (laughs) oh hello yeah but of course that was that part was played by jay davidson and this is his second big role he more or less gave up out acting after the crying mm-hmm. game. Yeah. He also didn't have any interest to do this film, but he said, okay, fine. Give me a million dollars and I'll do it. And they said, okay, here's a million dollars. And he said, all right. <laughs> so we have Jay Davidson, who is a very slight person. He's very thin. He's, he's very small, but he's got this persona and presence about himself, mm-hmm. which, what do you think? What is your opinion? I actually thought it was really interesting. The fact that one of the things I think Emmerich does in, very interesting is like when they Davidson playing raw it's got a very androgynous look and the personnel around him outside of his guards are very androgynous as well i think they would use androgyny back in the early 90s you know kind of like as equal to alien since mm-hmm. ergo they say it's an alien species that have enslaved these people mm-hmm. well what's the first thing that the public in 1994 probably thought as alien. Oh, androgynous. Mm-hmm. But I really I actually liked his performance. What little he is able like to be showcased as he delivers, you know, and, in, and it's kind of campy in a way. But I mean, I think he just commits to his committal to it, regardless of what he didn't want to do with the movie even a million dollars later, it's pretty good. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it was probably had shocked, you know, surprised some people, especially coming off the crying game, that that was his follow-up because, but I mean, I think he was correct in the assumption I read somewhere that there were no good roles that were going to be written for him anytime soon. Mm-hmm. That's why he kind of retired, you know? So I think this is a good role for him because he can come across as ultra powerful he has got the ship he has got these guards he has got power and yet yeah he comes across as very small and weak 
in a physical sense, but then when he talks, when he moves, when he stands, mm-hmm. yeah, just looking at a picture, still picture of him, you're like, what is this? But as soon as he moves or talks, you're like, yeah. this is pure power. Right. And he's able to exude that in a lot of his movements and a lot of his mannerisms. And I think it's very, very effective. I think it's really good that he can scare, intimidate, just with his force of will. And I think that the role is very suited to him. I like him as Ra. I like the idea of the the alien of Ra looking for a body that represents beauty and sophistication and like a level beyond mortal man. Yeah. And and that's what he what they think is perfect. Right. That's actually pretty good. I, I like that. I like what you're coming, bringing with that. And then I was also, that's kind of an interesting subversion of what the public probably thinks of physical manifestations of God to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, like usually you think more masculine, proto, superhuman type, like Superman or whatever. Here's a nice little curveball where it's not exactly what you're expecting. But mm-hmm. the way they were able to, he projects and stuff, that was a good takeaway from it. You know, it's like, looks can be very well deceiving. I just like, yeah. I thought that was a really good disc as well. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little about the female love interest in this, Shari, yeah. who's played by Millie uh, Vital. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't have too many women. We've got her and we've got Dr. Catherine Langford. Right. But she's really the one female, the really strong female in here. And actually, I think she's got an interesting part. How did you feel about Shari? I was kind of intrigued by her. And, and it like, once again, goes to the fact that time constraint, you know, there's probably a lot more in the way of story with the people as well as her character itself. The fact that she was able to kind of like be like the bridge and like the breakthrough for Daniel Jackson to actually start to understand the dialect and where these people are from come from her and his interaction with her. And I thought it was kind of cute, the little, the fact that she's just basically given to him as a spouse, you know, without him even knowing about it because they think he's a god. And I was there a little interplay back and forth. Seemed believable. I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, I, I've never been transported to a, a different part of the galaxy through a wormhole. <laughs> so I don't know if a chieftain was to present to me like his daughter. Here's your wife. I don't know how I would have acted as well, but you know. It was pretty good. I'm only human. I, you know, I can't say no. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. I like how she was also used as, you know, once she got some knowledge back from Daniel, she was also the one to say, hey, we as a people are not going to stand for this. And I am going to teach the younger men that Mm -hmm. this is a cause worth fighting for. So she was actually bucking against the chief himself, the chieftain and, and what they've been taught for years and Uh saying, no, we are not going to be repressed by this God. We are going to fight. We are going to do this. Uh I like seeing that, especially, especially in an early mid nineties film. I mean, there is not a lot of females present at all in this, but the females that we do have are good representations. I think so. I agree with you on that one. And, you know, I just, overall, I think the first few years in the nineties, females, you know, were underrepresented, especially like strong females that weren't come across as shrews or harpies or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always like that, you know, shortcut that people want to go to when they come to that kind of characterization. So, yeah, I just thought it was like really kind of nice. I mean, we got through most of the main characters. We got through some really highs and lows. I want to ask you, is there any other lows or highs that you want to bring into this film before we start wrapping things up? I was wanting to talk about, like I said, I thought there were some good casting on the character actors. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Dial, who was in, he's like one of the lieutenants, I believe, Kaminsky or whatever. He's been like one of those that guys for like the longest for me, you know. 
He was in part of the Miami Vice crew three years, you know, as a Zito who ran surveillance, you know, because I was like, oh, John Dial's in here. Okay, I wonder if he's going to come off as kind of quirky and like his character in that show. And yeah, he comes off as kind of quirky, you know, but I would expect nothing less. And then French Stewart kind of threw me as well, because I was like, yep, okay, here we have Harry from Third Rock from the Sun, and he's acting pretty normal in this. So, well, this was his first film credit. Is oh, in this, okay. and a lot I of people are like, that. "Yeah, yeah." A lot of people are like, "French Stewart, he's a comedian, and he's playing a military guy." Exactly. Huh. <laughs> oh, we, and also, we speaking of comedians, we've got Richard Kind in here as well. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, great character. I mean, that was like the one thing I like about like these bigger movies is if they're going to populate your your secondary cast with character actors, sometimes they cast them really good. And mm-hmm. I, I often thought that, like, watching this, like, Stargate, at least from a casting standpoint, they got some really solid character actors because, you you know, you could go into a blind like I did and be like, oh, that guy's in this. Okay, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. It's always interesting seeing this film, like, oh, oh, I remember that guy. Yeah, there's a lot of times I started doing that in films, especially lately, looking at older films. Yeah. Now, they, they've got a lot of good character actors in here. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? I wanted to say the uh, concept and the story, it really did feel like comic book IP, okay, yeah. uh, after watching it. I was like, especially if it's particular time. I could I, I could easily see this have been pitched probably, you know, to like an uh, upstart image or dark horse, you know, as like a potential property to explore afterwards. The fact that there are so many offshoots from this movie is proof positive of how strong of a uh, story or at least, you know, a- idea this was. I just mm-hmm. thought that was like really good, you know, as far as a high. And it, like Lowe's was, I don't know, I was just like thinking, if you're packing for a reconnaissance trip, I thought it was kind of funny that they just get there and then within minutes, they're like, oh, we got to go back. Mm-hmm. You, you pack all that stuff and then like all of a sudden, let's get out of here. It's the military idea. It's, it's the I think it's the correct way of doing it too. We're going to go and do something that's completely untested. Yes, somebody said that they can get us back. We aren't going to necessarily believe it. We're going to pack just in case just in case something goes sideways. Right. So they pack for the contingency plan and the good thing they did too. Because yeah. there's a lot of questions like, you're sure you can get us back? Right. I mean, I would have a lot of questions on that. Yeah. And there's other things that I would think about too. Things that they, they do in the series, which is they don't hear from them in a while. They you they open the gate up from the earth side and then they mm-hmm. contact them to say, what's going on? What's wrong? Can we send you some more stuff? Which is right. always a possibility. But they never did that on this. They just like, we're going to do it one time and then leave it alone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, we, we need more stuff. We're going to have problems. You know, no, exactly. they just one time we're not going to call you or anything. And yeah, they kind of flesh out some of the actual rules and how and more of a military mindset, too. So, yeah. I like Stargate HD1. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think it's a very fun series. And I think it's a really good use of a really good cooperation with the Air Force in -hmm. doing a show that's very interesting and very science forward thinking on some levels. So it's it's kind of a fun, fun concept that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and rank this. I'm interested in seeing what you thought about this movie on a ranking how many full bags of popcorn would you give this film one through five no halves you see around the long box crusade network what did you think i was like looking at a three out of five for like some of the for the shortcomings like overall like the story itself you can look at it as like oh it's kind of old-fashioned it's kind of creaky because like there's too many ideas in here with not a really good solid support 
But I think mm-hmm. it's the ideas that really kind of like won me over. You know, I'm like, it's not like the best film per se, but I mean, what they had, what they were able to do with the visual effects as well as miniatures and opticals and stuff. It's a fun ride. I mean, it's just one of those where just turn your brain off. Don't quit asking questions of why this happened when such and such is supposed to happen. I just like three out of five was like, my that's why i viewed it as so no i i completely agree with you i was during my rewatch of this i was thinking to myself where am i landing and i was i was struggling between three and four i've got to be honest with myself i would give this a four i completely understand your three my four is completely couched in the fact that i appreciated the setup that it gave to the rest of the universe Mm -hmm. that is the only reason if i didn't have that connection i probably would be at a three as well there are some problems that i think i have with this movie overall i think it's a great setup and i think it's a great story and i think they it's competently done but i have a very good nostalgia factor for it and i think it's a real fun ride too so (laughs) three is perfectly fine i am just landing on the four side of it just because i've got the nostalgia lenses i'm willing to admit it i'm definitely willing to admit that that's the reason i've got it there before we get out of here though where can people contact you on the internet to say you are wrong about Stargate or you are right about Stargate? <laughs> you, can, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at 2231975, which is my birthday. I just thought that would be a clever way of actually being able to get my name out there. So but I'm on Twitter, like talking to you or, you know, just kind of putting up stuff about comic books or movies, occasionally weighing into politics, but not so often. But yeah, that's where you can find me and tell me that I'm wrong or right about Stargate or (laughs) chastise me for not seeing SG-1 before getting on the show. So (laughs) I would highly recommend talking to him. He's a great, great guy and a very good supporter of our podcast. Speaking of my podcast and where you can find me on Twitter, you can find me at mmuckabout. That's mmuckabout. Or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my co-host Jeff, who loves being licked by animals from other planets. If you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick present all one word at gmail.com. Also, big thank you to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this wonderful attic of their headquarters to broadcast the show. And fun fact, they do have their own working Stargate up here. I just am been told and I can't use it to throw trash to other planets anymore. But, you know, I know one of those places that the Stargate goes is to the basement. I just won't tell Clinton how to do the Stargate back out of the basement. <laughs> also, I'd like to thank the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support it, please head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have for this week. Grab some popcorn and pull up a seat. We'll be back real soon with another episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9.